my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Hello and welcome to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast from Beach Commute. You've got Marissa here and I've got an amazing guest today. His name is Dallas. He goes by Dallas, the privacy postmaster, and you will understand why when you listen to this episode. He also calls himself a privacy geek. I think he's a privacy expert, but he has been living in different parts of the world, specifically Lisbon now, has a residency in South Dakota. We'll explain why. So Dallas, welcome to the show today. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. So excited for everyone to hear your journey and some of the fun facts you've got. But I'd love if you could start a little bit with how you became a digital nomad, how you entered into this travel life, and how you got into the privacy world. Sure. Thanks. Um, can I back up just to the expert? You can back the, up anywhere okay. you'd like. <laughs> so um, I, I've been in um, information technology for over 30 years, and it's kind of an old adage or old joke that when someone says we're going to call in the expert, air quotes, (laughs) we have come to the term that expert is defined as X is an unknown value and a spurt is a drip under pressure. (laughs) That doesn't sound so good now. (laughs) Well, no, I don't, it it could look at it different ways, but basically it's like, you know, the person that comes in is the expert and then they're like making things up, but they go because they're really not the expert. And that's kind of like, like I said to you, I kind of struggle with imposter syndrome. So, but and I told you, th- I help people with imposter yes, you syndrome. Do. And so we'll be, we will be talking about that, but uh, thank you for the expert uh, introduction. So, <laughs> You're yeah. so welcome. All right. So tell us about, and thank you for clarifying. I love that as well. <laughs> and I think we all, right. With who, who's an expert anyway, we're all just learning yes. and asking questions and yes. doing the best we can in life. So yes. I'm with you there, but um, tell us about, you've shared some um, exciting stories with me before we started about some travel, mm-hmm. starting from kind of high school age and how you got the travel bug. But tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. Well, um, I, I grew up on a small farm in the Midwest, lower blue collar middle class. We did not do much traveling. We did camping and stuff. We didn't do like air travel uh, uh, growing up in that. And um, I always would look up to the sky and see the airplanes flying over. And I try to look, it was at night and I'd look in the windows and I'm like, where are they going to, you know, what part <laughs> oh. of the world are they traveling to? And I'm like, and I'd be like, I want to be on that airplane, you know? Oh. So it goes to that intrinsic, that, that gene in me was like, I wanted to travel. I wanted to be an adventurer and so forth. Okay. Um, and, and that actually started right after high school. Um, that was back in the eighties dating myself. And that's when uh, Japan was, financially taking over the world. And I had an opportunity to go to Japan and be a English conversation teacher, which is very ironic because I barely graduated school because (laughs) I hated school. I wanted to be busy doing things. So anyways, so I went to Japan for three years in Tokyo and I was English conversation and it was a huge just adventure and journey going there. And it's such a diverse culture and so forth, different culture. And um, that started my, yeah, my 
my travels and um, through work and personal um, and a little bit of vacation travel, I've traveled all over the world. Majority woods that is in as you is also is it was in Asia. I've been to the Philippines a few times, uh, Hong Kong, Beijing, um, of course, Japan. And so I never made it to Australia. That was always on my list. But anyways, then I became uh, through my career and working and stuff. I just got really tired of the corporate world. And in about 2012, 2013 ish, um, I decided to become an independent contractor and just stop working, you know, directly for a company. <laughs> yes. And, um, yes. So I became an independent contractor and I was just doing stateside, you know, uh, cybersecurity contracts. And uh, rather than working remote back when that was a little not as popular to work remote, um, I and I preferred actually to go to this to the location of the contract of the client and actually, you know, temporarily move there. And I realized that I was barely home and I was paying all these income taxes, state income taxes. And I decided that I need to, to strategically move to a state that was more conducive for location independent people, professionals. And that state that through my research was South Dakota. So then I became a location independent resident of South Dakota. And then shortly after that, um, I started my international travels as a digital nomad slash expat. <laughs> I love it. So I would really be grateful. And I think a lot mm -hmm. of our listeners would too, if you could talk about what it means to have no income tax in a state like South Dakota sure. and how you go about doing that. And so this is a little bit US centric, but just the idea of having no income taxes, there's different ways in different countries, but right. how did you do that in the US right. and South Dakota specifically? Okay, so um, as U.S. citizen, we need to choose a state, yes. uh, even if we never come back to America, unless we <laughs> give up our, res our residency, but we give up our, our citizenship and have to turn in our passport. We have to legally choose a state that we call home uh, for um, legal reasons, tax reasons, for uh, banking reasons, for our wills, our insurance, and so forth. And so what state you choose can really impact your financial well-being yeah. and a lot of people don't think about that they're like oh i grew up in this state i, I just like to pick on illinois um <laughs> uh, i grew up in illinois you know i'm a bears fan i want to be identified <laughs> with illinois and so i'm going to have my illinois plates on my car and i'm going to have my illinois driver's license <laughs> but and then an ego such a pride thing sometimes, sometimes. it is yeah, yeah it I is <laughs> and um with that then there comes a lot of taxes that you need to pay um liabilities uh income tax, property tax, uh, higher insurance and, uh, you know, vehicle taxes and sales taxes and so forth. If you, if you make that choice and some people that really take a look at the numbers and they are truly do, do qualify to be living in a different state, look at the states to choose that are more friendly to the location independent, uh, individual. Right. And so what would be for South Dakota, for example, what do you have to do to qualify to be a resident yeah. there? Well, um, so the, the top three states are Texas, just generally speaking, I don't have yeah. the specific numbers, for Texas, <laughs> Florida, and South Dakota. Yeah. And Texas, or Florida is a little bit of a tricky one. A lot of people choose Florida because they have family that right. live there, like Snowbird there, so they've got an address. But right. if you really look at the letter of the law in Florida, they have several different statuses for your residency there. And they're one of their more stringent ones is, and please talk to a professional about this. I'm not the professional, <laughs> so I should have said that at the beginning, um, is if you wanted to make that a tax resident, they actually call it, you are a tax resident of the state of Florida. Right. If you want to claim that on your 
W-2, as I am a resident of Florida, they follow the 181 day rule. So, and if you are not really there for 181 days, you probably can fly under the radar, but there could be another state that you moved from that are going to catch on to that and say, no, 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 no. We, uh, we want you back over here and paying all right. these state taxes. Right. So that's, so South Dakota does not have that. Um, and to go into South Dakota is very simple. Um, they figured this out a long time ago as they wanted to draw industrial people and, um, and finances and banking people and professionals into the state. They uh, make it very easy. You have to uh, stay in a hotel one night in South Dakota <laughs> and provide the receipt with your name on the receipt <laughs> to the DMV. Oh, my gosh. And there's a couple other things, but really that's what it comes down to. And then you get a driver's license that very same day with your picture and um, with the state of South Dakota in the background. And do you have to be there for any number of days during the year? No. Wow. This is blowing now, my mind. I'm like, yeah, I don't, right, I don't, South I don't, Dakota, yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend this, but many people, in fact, I was guilty of this too. Um, not that this is wrong, but the, you don't have to come back until you renew your license, driver's license after five years. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Five years. What are we all yep. doing with Florida? Anyone listening? <laughs> let's all take, let's have a fun night in South Dakota. We'll go as a group. <laughs> It'll yeah. be fun. That, yeah. is, so, that is amazing. Yeah. Yep. And the one thing too about it here is they are very conducive and friendly and, uh, and I don't know if the right word is supportive, but to the location independent lifestyle, you don't have to, you know, talk and code or anything when you're getting services, if you're calling on the phone about getting, being registered for voting or some license questions on your, your tabs or something like that, you just, you say location independent or you're a virtual resident, like, oh, okay, no problem. Wow. And then they help you out. Yeah. That yeah. is amazing. Because like you said, I know a lot of people who have tried to do that for Florida and you really have to either be there, go under the radar, sneak yep. around. It doesn't, it doesn't yep. feel good, but this, this it, feels good. I agree. <laughs> like I agree. South Dakota. Totally agree. So fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it can yep. make such a huge difference financially, have such an impact not to have to pay those state taxes. It really can. Yes. Agree. Yep. And um, as we were talking about earlier, um, an example would be um, a member um, here in, with Privacy Post um, digital nomad works, uh, does a contract in the state of New Mexico. And when he was onboarded for this contract, somehow the onboarding put his, his state tax state of New Mexico, and it was either an oversight or whatever. And he never even set foot in New Mexico uh, for this contract because he was, he was designated a remote worker. And it wasn't until after he got his um, uh, W-2 or one of his last paychecks that he was getting ready for his W-2. So he, he paid attention to the, the numbers on his W-2 or his, his pay stub to see where kind of where he was at for the end of the year. And he noticed that his state tax her state was New Mexico, and it was it was almost four thousand dollars in taxes, state taxes that that he had paid to a state he had never even set foot in. Yeah. And so um, he's gonna have to jump through some hoops, and uh, we discussed it and gave him some direction on that. And he'll have to have his accountant, you know, uh, do file a return in New Mexico and do some other things. Uh, but it, he'll get the money back. But yeah. now next year. That's going to be four thousand more dollars, almost four thousand, maybe more than four thousand yeah. dollars in his paycheck next yeah. year. So yeah. just think about that. <laughs> it's really neat. I know as people think about the travel lifestyle, when you don't know the logistics of it, like you're talking about, and you're just used to your taxes and your state, and you think about traveling like you do for vacation, it feels like a really expensive lifestyle. But when you start to look at it, you can actually save money in so many different ways, and it becomes 
less expensive than traditionally living in the oh US or many other countries. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, and this, this, you know, talking about healthcare would be a completely different, another show, but <laughs> I, I get all my healthcare in Portugal, my premium, I kid you not, it's a good plan. It's a private plan. I go to a private clinic, a private hospital, a brand new hospital, if I were needed for any procedures, or whatever. And I pay um, under $60 a month for my premium. Oh my gosh. That's like my heart just wants to, <laughs> we just, um, one of my co-hosts, Jeff and I just recorded episode. I think it'll probably be one or two before back from this one. Uh-huh. If anyone wants to listen, but it was all about that. So many people have a fear of healthcare specifically, or how will I get good healthcare? How will I pay for it if I'm abroad or something happens? And the truth is it's often so much better and cheaper in other places, compared, oh, yeah. but all, all we know is whatever country you're from. So yep. thank you for sharing that. Yes. I'm like, how can I get some, some healthcare there? Yes. That sounds great. But speaking of Lisbon, let's transition there. Mm-hmm. So you are a resident of Lisbon as Correct. well. Um, so let's talk about what that means, why you did it and why you chose Lisbon. Okay. Well, like 10 loaded questions for you all at once. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, as I was hitting my, um, my midlife crisis, uh, (laughs) age of 50 Uh (laughs) and, um, you know, I've said before that, um, when people become digital nomads or they, they become location independent, they go travel to or move to another country, um, they typically, they, they fall into two general buckets. They're either running to something or they're running away from something. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, and typically when they're running to something, it's the, you know, it's the 90 day fiance, you know, right. scenario, right? <laughs> Found my um, love, I must go yeah. meet them. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only person in the whole wide world. That's my soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, and then the other, the other one I think is a, a larger category are people that they, they just need a big change in their life. Yeah. Maybe they're, they need a change from a relationship, a job that, you know, they failed in a relationship, they failed in a career that's going nowhere. Um, family, you know, they're empty nesters <laughs> and they've put so much into raising their family and they want a big exciting new change whatever so they're kind of running away per se they're moving on from where they're at and I was in the running away mode uh, and um, I decided (laughs) I needed to take a six-month jaunt through kind of like an eat pray love journey through Europe and really that was my second trip to Europe I had gone to Germany with um, with my my two children uh, about five eight now, maybe 10 years before that. But other than that, I really didn't have a lot of experience in, in, in Europe. So I really wanted to just take a tour and really learn Europe. And so I went there for six weeks. I just per- literally picked a place on a map and I I'd get my tickets to say, I was showing up at the airport without a ticket. And I'd go to the, the, the really? agent and say, I say, I want to go here. I want a ticket. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And I did all my uh, housing and stuff um, uh, on the fly, and it was just great. And one of my last uh, destinations, my sister's exchange student was from Portugal, and he invited me a few years earlier. He says, anytime you're in Europe, please come and visit. You know, our home is open to you. So I decided to go to Portugal, and I flew from Prague, New Year's Eve day in the afternoon, flew uh, from Prague to Portugal, uh, to Lisbon. And I landed in Lisbon and um, I, uh, I've said this before, it's like, I just had this resonating, this vibe, this something about this place was just drawing me and yeah. I immediately felt some something 
It was very right there. <laughs> and as I was there, I was there for probably a week. And I, the more I saw it, I, just, I said to myself, I'm going to be back here again. I'm going to be back here very soon. I just kind of knew it. So then long story short, I got back to the States and I started uh, packing up and moving my life to Lisbon, Portugal. I love it. Well, I have so many friends of all the people who have been traveling the world as a digital nomad, you know, moving every month or so for Mm -hmm. sometimes several years. A lot of people, when they want to become an expat, many people I know choose Lisbon as that place, like of anywhere in the Mm -hmm. world, that's where they choose. And I think there's a lot of reasons it's, you know, time zone works, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not too far from the States or other places. Um, You can get that residency there, which we'll talk about. And it's just a really lovely place with great weather most of the year. So Mm -hmm. if anyone listening, we also did a, we did a a masterclass the other day, just talking to some of our audience and it became in the chat box, just like a, a love of Lisbon. Everybody was like, I want to go there. So it is a popular place. And with that, um, I would love if you could just give a quick version of why do you think people settle down there as an expat place? And mm-hmm. why is the process easier than other places to get a residency? Right. Okay. So I think you pretty much nailed it on, on your conclusions. Um, Portugal is very welcoming to uh uh, bringing in, you know, foreigners for residency or allowing open open doors for people coming in. The rules are very um, easy to follow, and they really aren't that stringent. And they kind of like they they are very, well, for lack of a better term, they're kind of lackadaisical about you know f- dotting the i's and crossing the t's. And um, and so it's really easy for someone to use Portugal as their entry point, their gateway or entry point into the Schengen or the EU. Um, But I think too, the weather is great and it's the cost of living is very uh, low there. So people can on a retirement income or a pension income or an investment income can move to to Portugal and live a very good life uh, there, comfortable life with, um, you know, for much less than if they were to stay in the, you know, in the United States. And I think Portugal, you know, after the banking crisis, um, they really figured out they need to draw people in their country. Right. The banking crisis hit Portugal really hard. And hearing some of the stories of people and you know, a lot of people lost a lot there and, and jobs and so forth. So I think, you know, kind of like South Dakota, you know, they figured they got to draw people. They have to draw <laughs> the right people, productive people, so forth um, in, into their country. And so I think that's a- another reason. And the weather there, again, the beaches and the sun, there's like 330 some sunny days a year. Like it's just, it's, it's a great location. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a very similar to Los Angeles. It's, it's a good, it's a good place great place, great country for those things that, you know, people have on their short list. Good quality of life. Well, all of our listeners know that Europe is not my favorite, but I did like my time (laughs) in Lisbon compared to a lot of the other countries there. I do think it has a magic and uh, just a charm and a joy to it. But if you could just real quick um, explain what is the benefit of having a residency there in Lisbon mm-hmm. versus just, okay, I think I might spend a month or two there as a digital nomad yep. and go elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm the big in the, um, it's called the flag theory of having more than one passport. Okay. Mm. And, um, and that really proved important, even though I don't have a Portugal passport, if I did not have my residency card yeah. during COVID, the heights of COVID, mm-hmm. I would not have been able to travel out or in to yeah. Portugal. Right. Okay. I had, that was my, that was my get out of jail card, that right. residency. Right. And, um, yep. And if I left Portugal during the height of COVID as I did, 
Uh, I wouldn't be able to come back if I just had a tourist visa. Getting bank accounts and so forth in Portugal or any country is really hard to do without, you know, if you just have a tourist visa. So right. that's another reason. But I really think um, the biggest thing for me personally is having more than one option for a passport. Yeah, I, th- I think it's one. very important. People underestimate they, you know, a lot of people, you know, I don't know what you call that. We're, we're, we're kind of egocentric in the U.S. where, oh, oh yes. I'm going to use my American <laughs> passport because, you know, it's the United States of America and everybody loves us. And that's not true. There are situations where it may benefit you to use a European passport, not yeah. a, uh, if you are traveling uh, in uh, North Africa, if I would, if I had one, I would be using my Portugal passport. I would not be using my, my U.S. passport. Yeah, I love that. And again, this is something I just didn't even consider before I started living as a nomad and yep. trying to travel to so many countries. But I was traveling, especially during COVID, where there's so many weird mm-hmm. rules. But I was traveling earlier this summer with three Israeli guys, and they all had different uh, an Israeli passport, but also a European passport. And depending on which country we went, what the rules were, they would use different ones. And it's very advantageous. So Yes, absolutely. All right, Dallas. So I'd love to transition into a bit of the privacy stuff because I know you call yourself the privacy geek. I'm calling you the expert because you're more of an expert than I am. That makes you an expert in my mind. Okay, okay, thank you. You are so welcome. So for somebody, maybe this is on their mind and maybe it's something, if, if they're not yet a nomad, they haven't even considered yet. I know this was not on the top of my radar, mm-hmm. but for someone maybe who has a job that with an existing company and then they decide to go out on the road and start working, mm-hmm. maybe they're working with, particular Mm -hmm. documents that are private or who knows for all the reasons. Can you talk a little bit about some of the reasons that it's good to take these privacy precautions just in general, whether you're working for a company or not? And what are some things that we can do to to protect ourselves? Okay, boy, that's a big one. But I I have (laughs) some morsels of I have some morsels of information that I think can really help. And bringing back to what I always say, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Mm -hmm. And I found myself, um, I've always been uh, just a privacy aware and really quick here when I was a teenager and I thought I was going to be like this international James Bond spy (laughs) when I was a teenager and I'd go to Radio Shack and I would buy um, components to, to make electronic gadgets. And I would, they had like, they had wire taps there to tap your phone and they had bugs, FM wireless bugs. And, and when I would buy things there, they, they would always ask for your phone number to, so they could track who that's how they tracked your purchases. And I thought that was so weird. I said, I'm not going to give them my phone number. And I was a teenager. I'm like, I'm, that's creepy. And I just give them a fake number. So that's, so that's kind of how I'm wired in but um, been in you so, from the beginning. <laughs> yes. So anyways, uh, now forward to, to now uh, working, you know, as you know, being a digital nomad and traveling a lot and stuff, you, ha- you, you still get mail. You can't do everything soft copy and um, you need a mailing address. You need a, a, a residential address for bank accounts, for taxes and, and so forth. I was always, I never asked my, my, my friends or family to take on that task. And that would fall in the category of don't, don't ask people to attend a wedding. Uh, as a guest, don't ask people to bring you to the airport and don't ask them to move, help you help them move. The fourth should be don't ask them to uh, receive your mail and forward it on. So um, I never wanted to put that upon someone else. And so I would use several services and none of them met my requirements, both from an aspect of security of my, and the privacy of my information. Mm-hmm. Also, the um, the social engineering, the, how easy it is to social engineer these services to um, disclose information to unauthorized people uh, from the mail services. So I went through several 
I, I married and divorced several services um, and um, none of them really met my requirements. And so therefore I started building my own service. <laughs> so I think it's really important when we are digital nomads and when we're traveling around the world, first, we, we really need to make, um, have a residency that makes financial sense. Uh, many people fly under the radar and they maybe they just kind of cheat a little bit on how they do their taxes and stuff. And they say, yeah, I live in Florida, but my, my, my mom lives there. My grandma lives there and I don't really live there and I have their address and I never visit there. So I'm a Florida resident, which is very untrue. And um, what's happening now is states want their money. They want, they want their tax revenue and they are, you know, discovered they're, they're more of a, paying more attention to people that really don't live in a state that they claim to live in for, you know, tax advantages and so forth. Or other states say you do live here. You're saying you live in Florida, but no, we think you live in Illinois um, and you need to prove otherwise. So those are the things that I really became aware of as I became a virtual resident. And, um, you know, when we get like tax checks and stuff like that, things that we cannot take a picture of and deposit it into our account, um, inked documents that require an ink, you know, an inked signature or you receive as an inked signature and you need to do something with that, stuff like that. That's those are the very important services that I really felt like I needed and I do need and rely on as a digital nomad. Love it. There's so many things. Again, I, I feel like I'm very lucky to have parents and a brother and family who lives in Atlanta, which is where my base is as well. Mm-hmm. But it is a big question for so many people of what do I do with medical bills or bills that come or checks that yes. I have or mail. So if you don't have a family member or someone like you're saying to, you know, that you don't feel comfortable asking I am. I feel like I also go home every, I don't know, four to six months. And I'm just like, if someone wants to reach me enough, they'll send me a bill to my email. They'll call. I don't know. I I check my mail every so often, but yeah, that is such a good one for someone who maybe doesn't go back often or doesn't have someone to say like, I think, can I open this for you? This feels really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's a great first one. And so how do you help people with that specifically? Okay. Well, with privacy post, um, we uh, provide the services to receive the mail and then scan it into a, a fully end and end to end encrypted meaning your mail is always encrypted and it can only be read by you that have the password it's not sitting in a cloud platform where it can be compromised or breached and it's you know in the clear free clear text information um, your password could be compromised of course and so someone could if, if you don't take the precautions that we guide you through to make sure that you use the layers of authentication to prevent that but um, so getting your mail timely and getting everything to a one location for you to review and decide, do I prioritize this? Do I have to deal with this? Do I just save it and store it for whatever? That's what we will help with. And also with that, we help with residency um, in South Dakota. Uh, if you have vehicles in the United States, we help with licensing them in South Dakota, um, insuring them in South Dakota. And also um, with those services, because I am primarily in Lisbon, Portugal, we also provide the D7 residency services. And that is, uh, we can only do right now two to four at a time because we do very high level concierge services for that. And it's probably a total different conversation to talk about that um, on, on those services we provide. We do have a staff member in Portugal, a Portuguese resident that's uh, very versed in residency there and um, knows 
the it lives is a lifelong resident of Lisbon, knows the circles and so forth, and the not I'm not saying connected like bribery connected, but just knows the process. And, yeah, and it's and, helpful to and, have someone who really knows the yes, ins and outs. Yes, and has the business acumen. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much what we provide, and how we're different than everybody else. Um, everybody else that I'm aware of is the fact that we do not store our clients' mail in our cloud service and and it is not stored unencrypted it is stored in proton mail and it is stored encrypted from the day someone onboards with us all of the information the onboarding information the the the, the know your customer information everything is encrypted with proton mail end to end yeah. And I'd say, guys, for anyone listening, Dallas knows his privacy. I asked, uh, I asked before we started recording, I asked where he was from and he wouldn't even tell me the state. <laughs> <laughs> so you are much better than I am. Like, here's everything about my life. Let yeah. me tell you, <laughs> I should be a little more careful, but um, okay. So for other, for someone listening, can you share some other different, um, whether it's using a VPN or privacy stuff, or just yeah. as you enter another country, whether it's with your phone, yep. your SIM card, your banks, your credit cards, logging in, like, what can people be more mindful of, you know, as they start to travel abroad? Yes. Okay, boy, that's, there's so many pieces there. Let's talk a little bit Just about some the of VPN. your favorites. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk with two of my favorites. VPNs are an absolute must Yes. Um, because you, a lot of things you do in the U.S., they're going to be like, wait, you know, especially if you're coming from other countries that uh, maybe are flagged as hostile for, you know, yes, um, hacking and so forth. <laughs> yep. And they're gonna be like, wait a minute, you're from here. Uh, yep, we're not gonna let you into your bank account. And we are going to flag your account for fraud and lock you out until you verify who you are and you yep. cannot get into your okay? <laughs> And what's happening here in this last three months, everybody's so getting aware and on board with VPNs. Um, here's what the problem is. So many people are on these VPNs, even though there's multitude of companies providing them, there's only like a handful of core service providers that contract out to these other commercial companies to then resell the repackages. So it's a game of whack-a-mole. Um, <laughs> uh, most services, most companies that are, are detecting VPNs uh, identify where you're, what v, that you're connecting through a VPN. They may let you into your bank account, but they will limit what you can do in there. Yeah. And I have been in situations where like I, I, I go through my commercial VPN. I'm like, all right, my bank is letting me go into my new bank account. They're not flagging it saying, you know, the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, awesome. I'm great. I'm good to go. And I go in there and I try to do something like do an ACH transfer to another bank or something. And, it's, and it doesn't work. It yeah. just completely does not work. And it doesn't say you're on a VPN. You're not allowed to do this. Right. It just doesn't work. And wow. then I talk to the support, blah, 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 blah. And every time this happens, I turn off my VPN. And I have another service that I use, a private VPN that's that I that's I personally own, and it works. It works every time. So yeah, and so what? With people, if they're really serious about this, they need to look at doing a private VPN where mm -hmm. it is not through these third-party services that get right. flagged and identified. You need to like it's very technical. I don't want to go down that rabbit <laughs> hole, but you you can create your own private VPN. Hmm. And that is not that IP address is not flagged because if you think you're just going to get a, you know, three years and, um, you know, for some service that was on Black Friday, it will work most of the time, but it will disappoint you. And it could be that critical time where you need to do something and it just doesn't work. This is amazing information. I did not know such a thing could exist as a, like a VPN that I could create on my own. Yes. And I want to say for anyone listening, so I'm, I'm so glad you guys all get to hear this information because when I first started my nomad journey, the first place I really went to, this was many years ago was Bali as, as a cliche digital nomad does. <laughs> and in Indonesia, I, I didn't even know what a, v, 
I mean, I logged into a VPN for working at Pepsi, but I didn't understand what it was or to, to use it myself, you know, and literally for a month and a half there, I just didn't log into my bank account. I think I really need to do something. I might've had my dad log in for me in the States to do something. Uh, but I was like, okay, I guess I just can't access my bank account, you know, to do anything important. Thank goodness. I don't need to do any big transfers or anything. You know, it was just fine for those six weeks. Um, but now I'm like, oh, I could have just used a VPN and this would all would have been fine. Mm -hmm. And I've been in many countries in Nigeria and uh, it's just a lot of places in Eastern Europe. I just was, there's, there's so many things that have these scam alerts. And so mm -hmm. using a VPN is a good workaround, but it's interesting to hear now, like why that might not work even. And so if you really are in a bind, this is a great piece of advice. So thank you so much yep. for sharing that. Yeah. And one more quick thing on that too, is if you are, um, we work with clients that are stealth nomads yeah, and uh, people that are kind of flying under the radar with their the, kind of under the don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> and um, if you are using a commercial VPN um, and you're doing work, a lot of companies will, that will create alerts or flags, probably won't block you, but it will bring some alerts to the, uh, the security, uh, the security team, the SOC and say, okay, this person's, uh, wait a minute. He first, he logged in this morning and he was in Chicago and then he logged out and then he logged in, um, uh, after lunch and he's in LA, um, and it's a VPN service. So why is he using a VPN service? Yeah. Okay. And on that subject really quick, um, there's a big, large, healthcare system and, and where I, I, one of our clients works for didn't happen to them, but they did a VPN audit on the, on the mm. VPNs for the company, the company VPN, they did a VPN right. audit and they, they uh, fired three people because wow. one was logging in from um, not Australia, New Zealand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they were not, they did not say they're in New be. Zealand. Right. Yeah. And another person was like in, in Europe and maybe someone else was in Asia or, and, and then they had to change the company policy. You have to be within 150 miles of, you know, headquarters, blah, blah, wow. blah, your office and so forth. Right. Yeah. So, so stuff like that is happening and people, then there's um, companies are getting more aware of, you know, people, where are they connecting from? Right. So what is the workaround you're saying for that? That is, uh, you really have to have a private VPN. But you're saying to create your um, yep. own. Yep. And it's better to do it. Uh, yeah. If, if you say you're, you know, if you live in, let's say Chicago, you know, you can rent a server, a, a virtual server for $10 a month. And but you just, yes, you just need technical people to, to build the VPN service <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's not just a click of a button, but, and then have the VPN. Um, right. Uh, present you in Chicago. And yeah. Oh, so good to know. And for, for you listening, when uh, Dallas is talking about a stealth nomad and the don't ask, don't tell somehow I never heard anyone referred to it as the stealth <laughs> nomad. I love it. But what he means, I have, a, I have uh, not the majority of my nomad friends, but a handful of them that I've traveled with over the years basically are employed, you know, you have the remote job, but they think you're working from home, whether you're in the States or wherever you say that, you know, is your full-time residency and they're not so happy, or maybe it's against the rules to really be traveling the way that, you know, we talk about on this podcast to work from any country that you want. So people just, like he says, they're just under the radar. They're in Mexico or Lisbon or wherever they want to be. I've had a friend in Thailand working in the U S you know, just wherever that might be. And they're just not telling their company and they're working the right hours, but it is really interesting with technology that they're doing these audits. And 
really it's a safety and security concern, I think, for a lot of companies. And so mm-hmm. this is, we're not condoning this necessarily on the right. podcast, but we're just saying these are things that people are doing. Um, so it's good to know our options, but it's really right. fascinating. <laughs> you know, we have those critical questions, you know, when, when people present their, they need assistance. Of, Did you sign an agreement that you are located inside the U.S.? Right. And um, d- does your company have a policy about, yeah. you know, remote work? Yeah. And if they answer the questions wrong, we just, you know, say, sorry, we can't help you. Yeah, that's good to yeah. know. But there are many companies, they just don't think of it and they just assume. Right. And they, you know, then they don't state and yeah. they don't have specific policies for that. Yeah. So. I've had friends in both ways. I was with a girl in Costa Rica who was really just under the radar. She she wasn't posting anything. It was not allowed. And she was like, screw it. I'm mm-hmm. doing this anyway. And then on the other side, like you said, I have a really good friend. I won't name names. We travel a lot together and there are no exclusive rules against it. But his thought is, I don't want to ask because then what if they say yes. no? So I'd rather just not know and just not say. Exactly. And it's kind of gray line. That's but, what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. You were like, I, I want to come clean. But then if I come clean and they say no, am I exactly. then on the radar? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a very it's a, the ethical, <laughs> philosophical questions of digital nomad life. Right. But hopefully we teach people on uh, in our course, in our government employment course to get the jobs that can be done remotely and have full permission. So there's yes. a lot of those out there as well. But there is, you know, for anyone in between who has that dream to travel, it can be important. So any yeah. other tips or tools as we sort of wrap up the end of, of this sure. episode? Um, I would say a, a, a tip, a tool that um, I use um, that is a great tool. It's called a mouse jiggler. <laughs> tell us more. You and I were talking about this before. You have to tell people what this is. Okay, there's a mouse jiggler is basically a technology that, that moves your mouse uh, at a predetermined time so your computer does not go um, into lockdown or go lock you know, go into lock mode. And um, there's mechanical ones and then there's electronic ones. I prefer the electronic ones because they're lighter, easier to, to travel with and so forth. Um, they're basically, they look like a, a flash drive. They're the size of a flash drive. Okay. Right. And um, when you plug them into your computer, um, your computer detects it just as a standard mouse. It doesn't you know, say this is the mouse jiggler, <laughs> but what it does is um, it it will uh, move your mouse at a predetermined time, just very ever so slightly, of, um, unnoticeable to the human eye, to keep you from um, from being locked on your computer. You know, for your computer locking up. I do not. I highly discourage anyone to put the mouse jiggler in and then go to the beach for six hours. Okay. <laughs> Um, because <laughs> what it, what it's really good for is people that are not, and many people are working remote and it doesn't matter where you work in the world, but we're with working remote, they're locking down the, the times of no activity on your computer to like five minutes. And, um, then your screen goes into lock, you know, locks up or you go inactive or whatever, you know, you go let the dog out and, um, you wait for it to go to the bathroom and you come back in you're like, nah, I'm locked out of everything. Dang it. Yeah. And, and this will help prevent that. Um, but like, like I kind of alluded to with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and if you forget your mouse jiggler at the end of the day, um, and then the next morning you go to your computer and you're still logged into work and they think that you pulled an all nighter, <laughs> but they don't see any, they don't see any productivity. You're probably going to get busted. That's so funny. <laughs> well, I was telling you, I have to share this story as well. Cause I wish that this had existed a decade ago, but back in uh-huh. my days, 
when I worked at Pepsi, we had, it was a little bit for different reasons of totally getting locked out, but we had, it was called communicator, but it was our company's instant message. And so you could see if somebody's active on their computer by if they're, they have a little circle next to their instant message name of red, yellow, or green, depending if they're active. So when we were all in the office, this was never a problem because you could be in a meeting or it didn't really matter. They know you're there and working. But on Fridays, we would get to work from home or for two years, I actually worked remotely for the company. And again, it's not that I was, I would always get my work done. I was a great employee if I do say so myself. But <laughs> when you are remote, you start to almost the reverse happens where you're locked to your computer in a way you wouldn't be in an office and it gets right. uncomfortable. But anyway, there was this guy I knew we had a snow day once and he worked for a financial company and he wanted to go out sledding in New York. And so he had two cell phones, like some finance people do, and he taped his computer mouse to his phone, put it on vibrate. And every five to 15 minutes, he would just call his phone. So his phone would vibrate and his mouse would move and it would look like he was active on that instant message. So anyway, it seems like there's a better solution these days. I don't think that exists. Maybe it existed back then. I was not aware of it. Um, Last question for you, Dallas, for someone who maybe is considering living the digital nomad life and Mm -hmm. isn't doing it yet, when you think about what travel has done for your life or the kind of before and after, or those moments where you weren't sure if it was right for someone who's on the fence, what would you suggest to that person? What I would suggest is if you're thinking of becoming a digital nomad and, oh, you know, expat or location independent. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, that's a, that's a tough one. I wasn't <laughs> prepared for this. Um, I think the best thing to do is um, if you have in mind a place that you want to go and, and to start your, you know, if you're going to find some specific locations, let's say if it's Bali or something like that, go there the worst time of year, whatever that would be. Uh, determine what is the, you know, is it the rainy season? Is it the, <laughs> when it's, you know, it's just super, super hot or if okay. it's, if it's in the top of the tourist season, because if you go there at a time where it's the most appealing, mm-hmm. you're going to then think that it's always like that. <laughs> and you want to go to some of these destinations that you think you want to have part of your journey. Um, if you, if, if you have that impression that it's going to be like that the whole year, you're going to be very disappointed when you hunker down there and you're like, wait a minute. I wasn't expecting this. So I guess uh, that would be what comes to mind to begin with. That's a fun one. That's so different than most people's advice, right? And that to me, if I think about expat life, that's a really good Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, that's more towards the expat, I would say. Otherwise, you can just keep chasing the great seasons. You don't have to. Yes, right. (laughs) Exactly. That's my style. (laughs) Exactly. And that's my direction I'm going. I will be doing that. I'm hub and spoking my expat journey and I will have you know, three to four locations around the world that I'm going to hub out of and just depending, you know, depending on the seasons and so forth, um, you know, be in those locations. So perfect. Love it. Yeah. Dallas, thank you so much for all of your amazing tips today. Where can thank people you. find you if they want more information? Yeah. So they, I'm not on social media. <laughs> I'm not on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm not on Instagram. Um, The best way is to go to privacypost.io and you can scroll down to the contact information and there's pluses um, on the contact information for email and uh, signal messenger. Uh, Most of the uh, options are secure communication, but if you're not into that yet and you're starting your journey of uh, privacy, you can uh, reach out to us unsecure and then we'll help you with that journey. Perfect. All right, that is a wrap on this episode. We hope that you enjoyed listening. 
If you are interested in becoming a digital nomad, in other words, having a job that you can do remotely while you travel the world, travel to amazing destinations, then check out our Go Remote Employment course at beachcommute.com slash GRE. We love the course. It teaches you everything you need to know to figure out which remote job is right for you, regardless if you already have those skills or not. It teaches you where to find those remote job opportunities, how to negotiate with employers to ensure that they're okay with you traveling the world while you're getting your work done, how to nail the interview, get the job, and begin traveling the world. So again, if this is interesting to you, check out beachcommute.com slash GRE to join fellow beach commuters inside that Go Remote Employment course. And we hope to see you somewhere traveling the world very soon. Have a great day. Bye.